It's time to take a look around the NFL with our weekly visit from John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. I need to see a dog make a play. No puppies. I need a dog to make a play. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. 302 is the time here on Raider Nation Radio 920, and we are pleased to have now on the phone lines John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. Always love catching up with John, and thank you so much for your time as always, my man. And before we get into any of the action, talk about the Raiders, uh, I know that there was another Hall of Fame meeting that lasted very long, about seven hours. Uh, anything major come out of that that you could talk about? I know you can't talk about everything. We can't talk about anything about the results and because we don't know who's in. We'll find out when the NFL Honors Show comes out on February 20th, February 10th, which is three days before the Hall of Fame. But as always, it was long. It was spirited. It was uh, it was interesting, informative, provocative. I presented Andre Johnson, the great uh, Texans receiver. And tell you what, I wish every football fan could be there listening to what we do when we make these decisions. So much work goes into it, people making the presentations and people stepping up after that to give their opinions. And so it's a it's a interesting, thought provoking, uh, well done process by the forty nine member committee. And uh, you can't go wrong, Q No on a Hall of Fame class because everybody that makes that list of fifteen is certainly worth it. No doubt about it, and that's the thing I wanted to ask you is just how much of an honor, you've been covering the league for so long, but how much of an honor is it to be a part of that selection committee? It is, it's an unbelievable honor, and it was second best honor to going into the Hall of Fame in 2006 and going there and seeing my name on a plaque, which they could never take away, and then being part of the committee and seeing people like John Madden, uh, Kenny Stable, I wish we had put Snake in while he was alive because mm-hmm. I want to see his reaction. But John Madden, he turned to mush when he made it. A lot <laughs> of them do. You know, they could be hard asses when they coach or play. But, man, when you find out you went to the Hall of Fame, unless you're Big Manning and you know it, it is such a big deal for the player or coach or contributor to him and his family. It's an enormous responsibility and I wouldn't trade it. No, not at all. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's a shame that Kenny Stabler didn't get in there before he passed. And now, of course, Raider Nation is still awaiting Cliff Branch. And we feel pretty good about uh, having to make our trip to, Cl- uh, to Canton this year uh, with Cliff. And, and, and Well, let uh, me tell you, excuse me, Q, I'll say this. Uh, I'm on the seniors committee. I'm on the coaches committee. And then there's a contributors committee. And uh, I think this. I believe that if you are the nominee for a senior like Cliff Branch or a contributor like Art McNally or a coach like Dick Vermeil, the, the main voting body, the 49ers, 49, they know what those committees go through to come up with a nominee each year, and it basically rubber, rubber stamp them. So I believe strongly Cliff Branch will be in the Hall of Fame. And I've told you this story before, back in the early 2000s at a NFL league meeting, I talked to Al Davis, and at the time, you know, he had a lot of guys that are in there now that weren't in there. And I asked him, and I was specifically asking about Lester Hayes because he's from Houston. I asked Al, give me one guy, a player, coach, anybody from the Raiders that you think 
is most deserving right now. He said Cliff Branch, without a doubt. That was over Madden, Hayes, Stabler, and he went into detail. And I'm, I hope that Cliff Branch goes in. One year he was number two of the seniors who made it. So uh, if he makes it like Stabler, I'll be sorry that he was not alive. But it'll be great for his family. His family's right here in Houston, and that will be tremendous Damn his family and his friends. Yeah, it really will be, and we definitely look forward to that announcement. And uh, hopefully, like I said, all of us making our way to Canton, Ohio, for that enshrinement for uh, for the great Cliff Branch. We're talking right now with John McLean from the Houston Chronicle. You can find him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Now let's get to some of those games. The Raiders season comes to an end. It was a competitive game against the Bengals. They just came up a little bit short. Uh, when you look back at their season, ten and seven, make the playoffs, have an interim head coach, uh, had all the adversity off the field. What do you think about the Raiders season in general? Well, let me back up to the game. You know, I I love games that are settled when two teams play well and one wins the game. And in this case, I still believe the Raiders wouldn't won. But that whistle that we all heard and then them trying to lie their way out of it and saying they caught the ball first when all you had to do was listen, just say you blew it. They blew it. Now, they may have scored anywhere on the next play. Cincinnati was definitely a better team. But overall, if you're a Raider fan, you've got to be happy with where they were. Now, Mike Mayock being fired. Uh, maybe they're going to hire a new general manager and let him out of the coach. And I think with Mayock being fired, that's not good for Rich Passaccia unless he knows that GM. But usually GMs come in, they want to have their own guy. So I'm looking for the Raiders to hire a general manager who hires a coach, and then Rich Passaccia won't have any problem getting another job with another team because of the outstanding job. He's done an outstanding job for a long time, but most people didn't know who he was, didn't know how to pronounce his name. Now, everybody knows who he is, and they all know how to pronounce his name. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. Everyone has a lot of respect for what uh, Rich Basaccia was able to do, the great job in keeping those guys together, because that couldn't have been a very easy task. As far as uh, hiring the GM, I think that if you're going to do it, you got to go in that order. you got to hire the GM and let him bring in his coach. It feels like the Raiders are making the right decision in, the, in at least the order that they're going to me. If I'm Mark Davis, I'm staying out of that coaching hire. You know, he's the one that hired. John Gruden, it backfired on him. That's not the way he wanted it to end. But he's got to get a general manager. It's an attractive job. It's in Las Vegas, great fan base, great stadium, great facility with a lot of talent. Hopefully he'll use a committee that helps him pick the GM and has led him to conduct the coaching search. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see exactly what he does moving forward and how they navigate through that. But uh, it it won't be a quiet off season, that's for sure. Again, we're talking with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, and and John, I mean, there's a lot of uh, the coaching carousel is wide open. I mean, David Culley's out, we know that. Uh, we've seen all the other moving and shaking that's going on. Brian Flores is a guy that I'm interested in because of Deshaun Watson. It seems like, and you mentioned it last week about potentially landing in New York together. It feels like there's a little bit of maybe a little bit of steam where that could possibly happen. Are you feeling like that that might have some wheels to it or some some legs to it? No, I think Brian Flores is going to be the coach here, and Sean Watson will never take another snap here. I've been saying and broadcasting that, and writing it mm-hmm. for eleven months, but there's people out there, these nincompoops, who keep acting like if Flores comes here, they'd let 
Watson come back or he would want to come back? Uh, no. Watson is not going to play here again. Now, the Giants, I wrote a fantasy column yesterday, Q, about the Giants and our former Texans general manager, Rick Smith, who wants to come back. He's the one who traded up to get Watson and then engineer a trade with the Giants. Now, the Giants have one of the three worst salary cap situations in the NFL, and Watson's going to make $35 million this year. So I don't I, I see that was a pipe dream, but I still talked about it. And then I said, well, I thought he would end up. But Brian Flores, he may have options. You know, one of the problems with Flores, it wasn't his coaching. It was his personal skills, relationships, having four offensive coordinators in three years, four offensive line coaches in three years, uh, two offensive coordinators. You know, that's not good. That's not good for stability. But the Texans GM, Nick Casario, worked with him for 15 years with the Patriots and their executive vice president of community football ops here, Jack Easterby, worked with him for six years. So you're going to be working closely with Casario and Easterby, and you got the coach that comes there is going to be agree to let Casario participate and practice like a coach and then be on the headset with him during games like he was this season and the way he was with the Patriots, some coaches might say, hey, I don't want that. So I think that if they don't have floors, it has to be someone who comes from New England and is familiar with Nick Casario and Jack Easterby. Yeah, John, I was just going to ask about that with Nick Casario having those New England ties the same as Brian Flores, and I'm bringing him in. But I want to go back to David Culley because he got fired, and obviously, like I think it's like he's leaving with about $20 million, even though he didn't even get to finish out his contract. Did he know coming into taking the job that, hey, this they might release me after one year, or did it have more to do with the Dolphins releasing Brian Flores and then the Texans thinking that they can get their own New England guy in? No, it had nothing to do with Flores. I, they set him up. They brought him in here. First of all, that twenty million is not true. They brought him in here, as I like to say, to shovel you know what for a year. <laughs> then when they got all their draft choices and all their cap issues settled, and and found some players in free agency, then let's go get somebody we know. And Cully wanted to win. He was fired up about winning four games, beat the Titans, beat the Chargers. And he was pumped about what was going to happen in the offseason next season. And now he's out of a job. And most general managers don't get a chance to hire three head coaches. So Nick Casario better make sure this second one works. I wanted to ask you about the Cowboys and 49ers game, particularly how it ended. Uh, I'm not talking about the officiating. I'm talking about the decision that they made to, to run the play that they did that ultimately ended the game. What did you think about the way that one shook out there in Dallas? Well, first of all, the, no matter all the whining by the Cowboys and their fans, they blew it. Yep. The official did exactly what he's supposed to do. Dak Prescott is supposed to know you hand the ball to the official. You don't hand it to the center. And the linemen are supposed to know that umpire's coming from behind. You've got to make room for him to get down there and touch the ball. And it looked like they didn't know what they were doing, calling a quarterback draw. And then that not going down soon enough, and then mishandling uh, something that that they should have practiced a million times. It's a bad look for the coaching. It's bad luck for the quarterback. And I tell you something that bothered me afterwards. Uh, Prescott said he, you know, 
he praised the fans for throwing bottles and stuff mm-hmm. at the officials. And that's not Prescott. I can't believe he hadn't apologized yet because that's not the Dak Prescott we know. He's a first-class act. I'm sure he was just fumbled. I'm sure by now he knows he screwed up. The officials didn't screw up. Right, I agree. And we talked about that at the beginning of the show. I couldn't believe that he said that. And really, nobody's come out and blasted him for it. I mean, I just I couldn't believe that he said, you know, good for them. They saw what we saw. It just, it was a bad look. It really was a bad look. And uh, no one could afford to have bad looks these days. Uh, speaking of coaches and bad coaching, how about Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals last night? That looked like, uh, I mean, just, it didn't look very good to me. And uh, there's been a lot of questions about Kingsbury, especially in the second half of seasons. What did you see from that game Monday night? Joke. <laughs> I've covered the biggest choke in history. The Oilers leading Buffalo 35-3 to in the third quarter of the wild card game after the 1992 season and losing 41-38 in overtime. It was the biggest comeback in NFL history, playoffs regular season. Down here we call it the choke. And up in Buffalo they call it the comeback. And Kyler Murray threw one of the dumbest passes I have ever seen. They just weren't ready and they choked. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, Hugh, every time Cliff Kingsbury has been a head coach, they've gotten off to a good start, and then they faded and just totally collapsed. Now they're going to fire him, I doubt it. Right. He's got a good relationship with Tyler Murray, but I don't know that the way they faded down the stretch, if they're going to get Tyler Murray, I think he'll play another year before they talk to him about one of those big extensions. But they just got humiliated by a team they beat in SoFi Stadium during the regular season. You know, they were not the same for whatever reason over the last six games. They just weren't. They got to try to figure out what it was in the offseason. Talking right now with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. We've got a couple more questions for you. Demond's up. All right, John, moving on towards this weekend. Oh, boy, here we go. Divisional round. <laughs> Cincinnati is going to go into Nashville. Maybe they're going to regret, you know, even beating the Raiders, you know, because those Titans are looking like a juggernaut that nobody wants to play. I feel confident oh, after San Francisco put the pounding on the Cowboys with that tough physical run game. John, do you think that the Bengals even have a chance? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's even laughable that we're talking about it, right? Now, DeMond, with all due respect, <laughs> Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon and Higgins and Boyd had not even having a chance in Nashville. I saw the Texans beat the Titans in Nashville. The Jets beat them. And that's bad. Derrick Henry then. Now, do I think the Titans are going to win? Yes, I do. But I think this. Their defense, which is very underrated, led by Jeffrey Simmons, they got to play great. Because even if Derrick Henry plays like we think he will, they're not gonna give. I don't think they give him the ball 20, 25 times. You would think they would have to ease him into it, maybe ten times, maybe fifteen. But just the fact that he's in the backfield that makes that play action game work so much better. So I look for Ryan Tannehill to be the biggest beneficiary, and I think that dream is gonna die in uh, the Sun Stadium. There you go right there. I'm going to cut DeMond off after that kind of foolish question right there. Let me ask you one more. We'll let them wrap this up. (laughs) Buffalo versus Kansas City. What are your thoughts on this one? Buffalo blew out New England and Kansas City. Well, they beat Pittsburgh. What are your thoughts on this game coming up this weekend? Game of the weekend. Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes coming off an extraordinary game. Josh Allen coming off an extraordinary game. This is the one I'm looking forward to the most. 
I hope the weather is nice enough to where it doesn't force the quarterbacks to have to hand off too much. You know, the winner of this game is, I think, going to play at Tennessee. And even though I picked the Titans to go to the Super Bowl and play the Packers, I'm not so sure, based on how the Bills and the Chiefs are playing, if the Titans could pull that off. But traditionally, this is the best weekend. There are some mediocre teams getting the playoffs uh, in the first round. But, boy, they've gotten separated the contenders from the pretenders. And this is the, to me, this is the best weekend of the playoffs, even better than the championship games. And the Super Bowl. Boom. There it is right there. The great John McClain from the Houston Chronicle on Twitter, at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. What's coming out on Texas Sports Nation, John, that we need to be on the lookout for? We've got a lot of things on our website about Deshaun Watson, about David Culley, the coaching search, and uh, we've got podcasts, snippets of our TV show. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. And DeMond, good luck with the Titans. And Q, sorry about the Raiders. Wait till next year. It's all good, John. All good. I appreciate you. That's all you can say is better luck next year. I mean, hey, it was a hell of a run. You won 10 games. You got to the playoffs. Uh, you had a bunch of adversity off the field. Uh, you got to feel good about uh, being able to even get to the dance. And I'll tell you right now, he said it. The first weekend of the playoffs, we just saw the Super Wild Card weekend. There are some teams that don't belong there. And I've, I've, I've continued to say this, and I'm going to continue to say this. The Raiders absolutely belong there. They absolutely belong there. I'll tell you, Philly didn't have any business being there. New England looked like they didn't have no business being there. Arizona sure as hell didn't look like they deserved to be there. And the Cowboys, after the bad coaching decisions that they made, probably should have kicked them off the back of the boat too. I mean, they didn't look like they were worth the salt. Straight up. But them damn Raiders, they look like they deserved the part. And that ain't me just being a, a, a looking through silver and black glasses. That is just the god-awful truth. They look like the part. The rest of the, 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 the losers of the weekend look exactly like that. The losers of the weekend. 3.20 is the time. We'll come back, take a couple quick calls, and we'll get to Ed Grady coming up at 3.30. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Um, You know, Rich, <laughs> Rich is one of a kind. You know, he's. You know, everybody's been asking what's going to happen, and everybody knows my vote. Uh, and it's, I made that very clear. You know, I love Rich. I think he's the best man for the job, and he's come in and done done such an amazing job. We've won 10 games with a team that's had tragedy, lost, everything you can imagine. Um, and he's found a way to get a group of guys to come together and win football games in January and December, um, which is rare. Uh, so, you know, Rich. Rich is he's the real deal. You know, he's a he's a leader of man and that's that's all you can ask for. So there's Max Crosby again from the Rich Eisen show heard here on Radio Nation Radio nine twenty earlier this uh, this morning, as a matter of fact, talking about Rich Basaccia and what he did to kind of keep the team together, what he feels about Rich Basaccia, and I think that that is something that probably every guy in that locker room feels. And I don't want to answer for him, I don't want to speak for him, I would never do that. But from everything that we've heard, uh, all the people that have been accessible to us. Uh, they all feel the same way about the interim head coach, Rich Passaccia. Right now on the phone lines, 
We have a guy that has talked to many people uh, in that Raiders locker room, and that's Ed Granny from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, also from uh, ESPN Las Vegas, the press box. And, Ed, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, my man. We do appreciate you. And when you hear Max Crosby talking about Rich Basaccia and what he means to him, and he's done that when we were there in person. Uh, he did it today also on the Rich Eisen Show. But what does that mean? What, what do you get from, from Max Crosby when a leader like that is talking about a, a head coach like that? Well, Hey, Q, you know, it's not a surprise. I wrote about this in the paper today. and This this happens with interim coaches a lot, especially a guy who's as loved as Rich Bisaccia. When they come into a situation of turmoil and drama and kind of the choppy waters of a storm of a sea and kind of calm everything down and kind of steady the ship, you know, you, you, you gain a lot of respect that way. And then on top of that, he leads them to 10 wins in the playoffs. So I wasn't surprised at all that between Derek Carr, Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro, they all stood behind him now. Does that mean he should be the coach? No, that doesn't mean he should be the coach. He should be the coach if he's the best person because it's not a popularity contest. You have to get the person that you believe in Mark Davis and the new GM who you believe can take this organization one step further and maybe two or three steps further in the playoffs. And that might be Rich Bisaccia. I don't know the answer to that because I don't know everyone they're going to interview and I don't know who all is going to be interested in the job. But it's not a shock to me when I hear those comments because they love Rich Bisaccia um, very, very much. And again, he came in in a horrible time and he was able to get those guys together and play and make the playoffs. So not, not a surprise. And um, I'm sure Rich Bisaccia will be granted an interview, but whether he's the best guy or not, I don't know. I can't answer that unless I knew everyone else was going to be interviewed. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, one, one of my buddies hit me up and said, Hey, you know, a lot of the, the success that the Raiders had this year with coach Bisaccia was also built on emotion that was in the locker room. And you can't duplicate that based off what they did this year. You can't duplicate that next year. So don't get caught up in emotions. I, I think that that's something right. to think about. Right. That's the perfect way to put it. I don't know who said that, but that it, this cannot be an emotional hire. It's too important. You know, I think, I wrote something for tomorrow, and I'm, I'm a big believer in checks and balances. I mm-hmm. think he should hire a general manager. I think general managers should have a lot of say in vetting and uh, power in terms of who the next coach is based on what you know Mark Davis would tell him he wants. And then you know that general manager identifies people, talks to them along with Mark Davis, and they sit down and make a decision. So I think he, I, I would hire the GM first. I mean, you're coming up a situation where one man had all the power, and that was John Gruden. I don't know how well that worked out. And, you know, this is an organization with um, – with Al Davis and others, where you had that situation where they held both roles. I don't know in 2022 if that's the best way. Now, it's the best way if your name's Bill Belichick, as I write for tomorrow. But Bill Belichick, there's only one Bill Belichick. So everyone wants Bill Belichick, but that's not going to happen. So to me, he should hire his GM and then both of them go after a coach. And again, it might end up being that in the end they look at each other and say, we've already got our head coach in Rich Versace. I don't know. But whoever said that is spot on. It cannot be an emotional decision. This is about winning in the NFL. It's about getting further in the playoffs. It's about going for a Super Bowl and getting that roster, which is not a Super Bowl roster right now, to the point where it can be. And that's going to take a lot of you know research and investigation and talk and, and some smart moves by you know whether it's Mark Davis or his GM or, or both you know working together. You know, Ed, when it was announced yesterday that Mike Mayock wasn't going to come back, immediately Raider Nation hit the panic button and said, "Oh my God, here comes another rebuild." I don't think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think the Raiders need a rebuild. I think they just need some refining. They don't need an overhaul because, you know, they're a playoff roster. They're just not a Super Bowl roster. Right. And, and, and it's a fine line between what does that mean. So I don't know who the GM's going to be, but I don't think any GM's going to come in and look at that roster and say, oh, we need to replace everybody. I mean, I would hope not right. because, you know, they have some, you know, really dang good players at a lot of positions. Um, I, you know, 
the unknown always brings out nervousness in fans. Mm -hmm. So I can see why people say, oh, you know, they fired him, they're going to fire him, and, you know, now it's going to be a rebuild. It's not a rebuild. The roster is good enough to make the playoffs. Um, They need help places, obviously. I mean, I think they they tried to retool an offensive line. That didn't work. You could have never, you know, predicted Henry Ruggs and what happened there. They need a number one-eyed receiver. You don't know what's going to happen with someone like Casey Hayward because he could be offered a lot of money. They might need cornerback depth. So there's places that you know as well as anyone. There's places on the rosters that need to be upgraded. Right. But you can do that through the draft and free agency and other ways. And if you do that, and then you make your big decision on what you're going to do at quarterback, I still think you know this is a really, really good roster with a chance to be a really good team you know, in years to come if they make the right hires. Yesterday we had Mike Sando on from The Athletic, and he, was, he did a poll across the NFL about the most desirable positions and jobs that are open right now, and I believe the Raiders came in at third. In your opinion, how desirable is this job across the landscape of the league? I don't know who the other two are, and I'm, I'm sure Mike knew, but um, I think it's a really desirable. He, he uh, said the position. Vikings and Denver were the first. Okay. Um, I'm not going to speak. I, I, I'm not sure if, uh, why those come in. Um, I do think that uh, Mark Davis wants to win. I think he'll put support behind winning. Um, you have a Legion Stadium. You have Las Vegas. I think that's very desirable for free agents. Um, if I'm a free agent, I mean, I know Denver is nice, but do I want to live in Minnesota? Nothing against Minnesota. It's a great town or Las Vegas. Right. So I think, you know, I think this is, this is a really desirable job, both for a GM and a coach. Um, like I said, a GM, if he's allowed to come in and do player personnel and not have to answer, you know, the way it should be is, I put it this way in the paper, like a head coach should be the CEO, mm-hmm. and he should have everything to do with on the field. And then the GM should be the personal player personnel. So as I wrote, if I'm the GM, or if I'm the coach, and I go to cue the GM, I say, look, can you get me someone at linebacker who can finally cover Trevor, Trevor, Travis Kelsey? then you as the GM, go, go get me that player. Mm-hmm. You know, you, whether it's trade, whether it's free agent, whether it's draft, and, and work, in t- work in continuity that way. Instead of just one person kind of having all the power and all the say. I just, I just, I'm not, unless it's someone like Belichick, I'm not a big fan of that. So I think it's a desirable job both for a GM and a coach, um, given where, where this, the, this, the t- uh, team now resides in Las Vegas and everything about Vegas. And I think the town's getting more and more behind the team. So, yeah, I think it is a desirable job. I think a lot of people will be lined up. I think some big names probably already lined up behind the scenes we probably don't know about. And uh, we'll just see kind of how it shakes out with, uh, with Mark Davis. Talking right now with Ed Graney here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. And going back to the game on Saturday, Ed, you were there. You know what happened. You know how it all shook out. I wanted to ask you about that final drive, and in particular the final four plays. The Raiders clocked the ball on first down. I don't think that that was a good decision. We've had others call in and say, hey, Stabler used to do it back in the day, so I'm okay with it. What did you think about that clocking the ball on first down? So I'm going to agree with you and take it even a step further. I mean, there's, and you know this, there's a cliche in football on third and hand it off to give up play i think clocking it's a give up play i think if you have four downs call something i think there was enough time on the clock to call something at rich passaccia said yesterday was a miscommunication does that mean Derek Carr clocked it himself does that mean he was told to clock it through olsen i don't know the answer so i'm not going to blame anybody because i I wish Mm -hmm. i knew the answer to that who really decided to clock it but you have four plays to tie that game and to possibly win and move on to the playoffs throw a fade throw something you know can't get picked off do something you know where you know, you, you at least give yourself a chance. I hate clocking in that situation. When they did it, you know, those of us in the press box said, well, what, what, what did you just do? What happened there? Mm-hmm. So I'm with you on that. Uh, now you're down to three plays. Um, 
you know, he, 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 I didn't think he had to throw short of the end zone on fourth down. I think you have to give yourself a chance there. He's done things like that in the past, which are a little confusing to me in terms of down and distance of what he needs. Um, he throws short to Zay, and, and, you know, who was covered, obviously. Um, I didn't have my eyes on Renfro at that point. I kind of followed the ball, which is probably bad. I should have had my eyes um, in a kind of a broader glance seeing what else was happening. But, you know, they just, it wasn't a great four plays. And I agree with you. I don't like clocking the ball in the first. And I, maybe Kenny Stabler did that at one time and it worked out. But in <laughs> 2022, I think, you, I think you run a play. I think you run a fade where it's probably not going to get picked off. And maybe, again, what do we hear all, all the time now? But Brian Edwards and other people let someone go up and jump and make a play. Right. No, I agree. I agree 100%. That was one of the biggest uh, takeaways that I had. I know me and JT were talking about it on the postgame show that would have loved to see what they would have done with the extra play instead of just clocking it and only having yeah. three downs to get it into the end zone. And then on top of that, like you mentioned, forcing the ball to Zay with triple coverage. I thought, hey, man, if you're going to go down and the season's going to be a wrap, I want to go out with Waller or Renfro having the last opportunities to make that touchdown catch. Yeah, and I want it in the end zone. Right, um, right. You know, I, I want something in the end zone, and if the catch doesn't come or they don't make the play, okay, well, then go shake hands. Right. Uh, it just it left a it, it just left a sense of, you know, nothingness there. That, you know, boy, you know, he had four plays, you clock one, and then you, this is how you end on fourth, and you walk off, you know, having lost that way. It didn't feel like you, get, you, know, you had every opportunity to win it, so – you know, um, it was a crazy game. They can look back and say, you know, they didn't do enough in the red zone. Right. Um, and and you know, neither did Cincinnati. I don't know if it was well played by anybody, to tell you the truth. Um, but they had their chances, and, you know, if they had won, I think it would have been great for the organization to move on. But I think it was really good. You know, Tyler and I had this discussion on, on the press box, you know, was you know was the job done before the game? I mean, Mike, May- May- Mike Mayock said before the season, this is a playoff team. And you got to the playoffs. Right. So does that mean the job was done? Does that mean they did enough? Probably in most people's minds. I mean, they had been to the playoffs in 16 and only the second time since 2002, which is just a long time. Right. Um, so maybe the job was done. And maybe anything else after that would have been kind of like, you know, extra um, juice to uh, plan for the future. But um, it, I did walk away from that saying, man, that was a winnable game. I didn't walk away. You know, I didn't walk away like... Arizona or the Steelers saying you had no chance. Right. No, you're right about that. Or even some of the times we walked out of the press box there at Allegiant Stadium wondering what in the hell did we just see? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't feel like that. And before we let you go, and I'm definitely not making any kind of excuses at all, but I did want to ask your thoughts on the on the whistle gate, on the whistle that was blown that everyone and their mother heard and the officials acted like they didn't. What did you think? What did the press box think when that was happening? We heard the whistle. Uh, Adam played it back for us, on, uh, and Mike Mayock actually was sitting above us, so he actually looked down at Adam's video because we heard the whistle. Um, look, the thing that really, really gets to me, and yet I wasn't shocked at all, is New York back their guys. Right. And when New York comes out and says, they said it was after the catch, it's like, no, it wasn't. Look for your own eyes. Look, look in here for your own eyes. If we can do that on an iPhone in a press box, and you're in New York with every technological advancement, you can watch the play, hear the whistle, and know that it wasn't after he made the catch. Um, he wasn't out of bounds. I mean, they got that, you know, they said right. that at first. And then you re- we watched the replay, and you knew right away, okay, he's not out of bounds when he jumps. But that whistle happened way before the catch. And if you're, if you're in New York or whoever, you correct it, and, you know, the play is replayed. And, look, maybe Joe Burrow throws another touchdown pass. I don't know what Joe Burrow does in that situation, but the Raiders deserved – at least a chance to defend a play where another one shouldn't have been, you know, shouldn't have been allowed. All right, Ed, this is the official last one. Did you try any <laughs> Skyline chili while you were in Cincinnati? <laughs> Are you serious? Come on. 
I did not. Oh, I think from what I saw at halftime and some of the contraptions that people brought down from where they serve food, it might have been that. But I gave it one glance and looked the other way. So, no, I, I think it might have been that. I, I looked and I saw some kind of spaghetti on top of something that looked like beans. I'm like, oh, my God, that's what it was. And I just looked straight forward and I didn't even look to the side. You know, the thing about this, Ed, is, you press know. Box food is a, press box food, people love it when okay. we talk about press box No, food. no, the thing about <laughs> this, Ed, is if you go back and you think, like, you have, you know, there's three wishes in life. And then you have, like, you're down to one wish. And then you blow it on Skyline Chili. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Damon had one question that he wanted to get in, and he blew the opportunity on Skyline Chili. Oh, I could talk. To, I, I had a football question. Like, do you think that this season would still be looked the same if John Gruden was the same coach that got this team to the playoffs as opposed to Rich Basaji? But nobody cares about stuff like that. That's a great question. I, and that's a great question. And would he have won 10 in golf list? Would he have won 12 in golf list? I, I don't know. You know, it's a. Uh, the whole, you know, Lou Holtz always had a comment, and usually because he was like downplaying his own team, he's like, you can say it because you can't prove it. So I have no idea. We could say that John Gruden won a one twelve. We can't prove it. We could say he won eight, and we can't prove it. So I don't know. I just know Bisacci did a really good job yep. at a tough spot. If you ask me if I think he's going to be the coach, I'll say no. Um, I just think that he's going to get a GM and a coach. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, and if I am. As Q said, the, off the top, Max Crosby and Derek Carr and other people will be very happy about it. Right, exactly. And uh, I, I'm with you. I just think that uh, everything will, will shake out the way it's supposed to shake out, but everything's yeah. got to be uh, from the top to the bottom. You know, get the GM yeah. and let them come together and decide who's going to be the head coach moving Absolutely. forward. So uh, good stuff. Uh, Ed, what do you guys got coming out on uh, the Review Journal? What do you have coming out on the Review Journal? And then also, what do you guys got going on in the press box? Review Journal, um, tomorrow I'll have this, the column on the GM and the coach and how I think that kind of be she's split in power. And I'm sure Tyler uh, have a lot of thoughts on the Raiders and UNLV. UNLV, uh, DeMond will be happy. Just got a big-time transfer quarterback yeah. in Tennessee, a kid who was really, really rated high. Um, I usually leave the stars to the astronomers, so I'm not a star guy. But this, <laughs> kid, you see, this kid seemed to have a lot of them. So, <laughs> nice. Um, you know, more talent for their quarterback room and – I'm all for that. Bring in as many guys as you can because eventually you're going to have to find one. Exactly right. Exactly. Hey, good stuff. I saw that note on UNLV today. I thought that was a good one for uh, Coach yep. Arroyo, and we'll see what yep. they can do. So, uh, Ed, thank you so much, my man. I appreciate you. I hope everything is all good at the house, and I uh, look forward to seeing you back in the studio. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. All see right. You. There he goes. Ed Graney does a fantastic job for the Review Journal. Also, our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas, the Press Box with Tyler Bischoff every single morning, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., uh, part of the Las Vegas Sports Network. 3.42 is the time. We'll come back. We'll close out the show just like that. It's a wrap. <laughs> we'll do it next. The Raider Nation Radio, 920. And all of a sudden, all the players, they come together. Mm -hmm. And they say when we come together, this locker room, and we hit the court at the Thomas and Mack, we are going to lay the smack down on them Lobos. Like that? Exactly. All right. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Joy! I am very happy to be here. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Gotta love it. Closing out the show just like that. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. Talk to Jim Plunkett today. Talk to John McClain. Just wrapped up with Ed Graney. And just like that, the show's a wrap. Appreciate the calls that we received today. Vinny Bonsignor is going to come up in the huddle 4 to 6 p.m. to close things out. Got a lot of good text messages that I want to get to right now while we have a couple minutes. At 69187, keyword R&R. Raider J from Sacramento said, got a lot of OG booties calling in. Glad, Great to hear. That's right. It is cool to hear that. A lot of old schoolers. Nothing wrong with that. 
Got another text. Q, that caller was talking about your boy, Andre Holmes. LOL. Q's favorite player. Man, me and Andre Holmes, we have a hate-hate relationship. <laughs> and it's, no, it's, not, it's not even on his end. It's just me. You know, because there's always, and we'll do this for a topic one day. I don't know when, but we'll do this for a topic. In every fan base, there's always a, a, a player that every, like a fan just loves that player, but he just never was that good. You know what I mean? There's always a player in a, a certain fan base that, that for some reason you just like that guy, but he wasn't that good. Like for me, I used to like a Donald Foyle a lot when he played for the Warriors. A Donald Foyle wasn't that good at all. It was just something about him. I liked him. So I was always like, give the ball to Donald Foyle. You know what I mean? Like I got hyped up for that. I don't know why he wasn't that good, but I liked him. Well, with Raider Nation, I don't know what it is about Andre Holmes that people love. I even got into a Twitter beef one time with his uncle. <laughs> not, not, not the family. No, it, I didn't. Man, I didn't know it was his family, right? Somebody had hit me. This is when I was doing the podcast with James Arcelano. I was doing the Black Hole Banter. And someone had hit us up and said something about, well, you need to get Andre Holmes more involved. And I was like, he's not that good. He's a special teamer. He makes good plays every once in a while because he's got height. But he drops the easy ones. And all of a sudden, man, somebody came out of nowhere, out of left field, and said, oh, man, look what he's working with. He's the best receiver on the team. And I said, that's not saying anything because the team's not good right now. Q, in, in people's defense, uh, they, this guy had back-to-back seasons, 14 catches one season, four touchdowns the next season, 14 catches, three touchdowns. So if you extrapolate, if you extrapolate those numbers, you know, if you like, if you put that through a, a 16 game sample size type <laughs> stuff, if you look at the per 48 of the way they win the NBA, think about that. Hey, People, man, that's 14 catches, four touchdowns. Imagine if he had 80 catches. Man, that's about 20 touchdowns. Think, if only they got him the ball more. Think I bet that's about how people were that. Thinking. Think about that. People were cutting for a guy. That had 14 catches in a year like he was the end-all, be-all. Four touchdowns, though, Q. That's like a touchdown every four catches. He made a tough play. He did. No, he did. He would, I mean, if the ball was thrown up in the air, he'd go up and get it, and you wonder, how the hell did he catch that? But then the ball came right to him, and he put it on the ground. And wonder, how the hell did he drop that? He was one of the most frustrating players that didn't play all the time. But it's so funny because I promise you, and again, this is no, 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 it's not against anything against him. It's just my preference. You know, there's always a player that people like that really isn't that good. For me, he was that guy. Like, he was not that good, but I see so many people like him. I've literally had so many debates about Andre Holmes. It's ridiculous. He gets so much airtime that it's just unbelievable. He gets more airtime than Eva LaRue gets from me. And if you don't know who Eva LaRue is, she's the bootleg Jennifer Lopez, or my bootleg Jennifer Lopez, who used to be on CSI Miami. I talk about her as much as Raider Nation talks about Andre Holmes. Hilarious. I love it. Uh, we got a text. You mean like Bobby Portis that plays for the Bucks? That guy is terrible as tap water, but people like him. <laughs> nah, too far, whoever sent that nah, in. That was too for far. Raider Richie in Arizona. Nah, Raider Richie, too far. Bobby I, Portis is a contributor. Okay, see, there you go. I mean, Raider, a solid you just player. proved Raider Richie's point. Yes, there's always guys that aren't that good that if your team lets them go, They'll be all right. It's not going to be the end of the world. But there's, for some reason, people latch on to certain players. Again, I latched on to Donald Foyle. Do you think anyone was cutting for a Donald Foyle when he left the Warriors organization? Hell no. Didn't nobody give a rip? And to your defense also about this Andre Holmes character, his best catch percentage of, like, the targets that he received and the catches that he made was 56% <laughs> his best season with the Raiders. 
So he he would catch half of them. That's what I'm saying. Half and the ones he caught were the hard ones. And the, and by comparison, Hunter Renfro this season caught 80 percent of his targets. <laughs> but let's not get another Hunter Renfro. Let's go find an ex Andre Holmes. 50 50. <laughs> and that's nothing against Steven. I know what he was talking about. He was talking about his height. They were talking about a big time guy like that. <laughs> All right, here goes one. See, this is a great topic. I wish I had brought this up at the beginning of the show. I'm going old, but I feel the same way about Fargus. There you go. That's right. Justin Fargus. That was a running back for the Raiders that a lot of people thought was the end-all, be-all. And shout-out to uh, Nikki Fargus, who works in the Las Vegas Aces uh, organization. I think that was her husband. I think it's her ex-husband. Yeah, anyway, I don't want to get messy. But uh, (laughs) I've been known to get messy every once in a while. But, yeah, Justin Fargus, man, I liked him. I liked him, too. We all called him Huggy Bear's son, right? We all knew his, his, his dad from Starsky and Hutch. Like, that was, that was the end-all, be-all. And he ran hard. I mean, he did. He ran. You knew that Justin Fargus was going to get the ball, and he was going to run as hard as he could into the, off, uh, into the line and hope that he poked out on the other side. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he was that guy where it wasn't a whole lot of, you know, it wasn't a lot of shifty. It wasn't a lot of this, that, and the other. He was going to run as hard as he could and hit that line and hope that he busted out through the end. Simple as that. I guess my Raider guy for this, that like not too good. But I used to think Michael Huff was like, oh, man, that got good. Yeah. Just off of like me me being young and not knowing that right. much about football. I was like, yeah, that dude can play. I was excited when Huff was drafted, man. I was fired up. I was like, this is going to be the next great safety. Then they gave him number 24. Then he got an interception against the 49ers in the preseason. I was like, that's my guy. I was there at the game. I was like, that's my dude. Huff, let's go. That was probably like the last interception he got. <laughs> but he was he – was, it was one of those players that you like. I mean, I'm telling you, man, there's every fan base has players that they like that aren't really that good. You know, it's just it's just it's it's a it's inevitable. You can't help yourself. <laughs> Raider J from Sacramento. You mean Marcus Tuiasosopo? Yes, that's another good one. Marcus Tuiasosopo. Remember he was the next end all be all. Oh, man, I should have opened this rabbit hole a long time ago. I man. know we, that this is Raider Nation Radio, but my Titans player will be Lindale White. Yes. Oh, yes, man. Lindale. Yes. Oh. From USC. Yeah. Right? yeah. He was the dude. Yeah. Oh, man. Him and Reggie Bush. That was the one-two Ooh, combo. Yeah. But you're getting the guy that was strong. Oh, he ran big hard. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Lindale White. Exactly. Exactly. Steven's hit me up. Hit a nerve. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, like I said, it's nothing against you, Steven, at all, because I understand what you're talking about. You're talking about the height and all that good stuff, but it's so funny. Because literally, you can go back to many podcasts that I've done. Andre Holmes has been like my my nemesis. You know what I mean? It's like the one guy that I've always talked so bad about. And literally, his uncle got at me and was like, oh, he's he's great. Look what he's had to deal with. It was so funny. And all respect to him because, hey, you're only as good as you are. He went out there and tried. He gave his efforts. I'm not I'm not mad at that. Hey, I'd be like, yo, if I was Andre Holmes, yo. if I was his uncle, 14 catches, four touchdowns. All it sound like they need to get my board of ball more. Someone probably thinks I'm the Andre Holmes of radio. Like I'm not that good, but he tries hard, and that's okay. 50 <laughs> 50. Hit him in. Yeah, you know, hey, two out of two and a half shows a week are good. <laughs> the other two and a half, eh, yeah, not so much. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. I love it. Uh, let's see. Kevin said, I feel you, DeMond. I have an autographed Michael Huff rookie card. And then Jerry Porter, Doug Gabriel, Ronald Curry was a goaded wide receiver core. <laughs> Great stuff. Appreciate all the feedback. Appreciate all the love on the show. And uh, Vinny Bossignor, he's coming up next in the huddle, 4 to 6 p.m. to close it out here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'll holler.